Shalom and welcome back to Unstoppable Faith. Thank you for joining us this week. Once again, we love bringing you the Word of God, the Word of God that inspires, builds up, builds you up, and the Word that brings encouragement. Today's topic, we'll be looking at uh, what makes the broken beautiful. What makes the broken beautiful. I have a special guest. My guest on uh, today's program is uh, Mary Maris, author, speaker, and podcast host. Mary grew up in a single wide trailer in uh, rural West Virginia, the first, the first of our immediate family to go to college. She went on to earn a law degree from the nation's top-ranked law school, Yale. After ditching six-figure salary, uh, uh, from a law firm offers in London and New York, she started a business with her husband, Justin. Together, they have built a successful online education platform for creative entrepreneurs. She's also the host of highly ranked and popular podcast, The Mary Maris Show. Stay tuned, and we'll be right back with my guest. I grew up in a trailer on the top of a mountain in rural West Virginia. Every winter, the roof of the lean-to shack would crack and pop under the weight from the average 22 inches of a Nicholas County snowfall. The old wood stove was never properly fitted at the top, causing flames to shoot out and streak overhead every time a log was thrown on, as orange and blue blazes would dance perilously close to the pink panther fluffs of insulation that hung from the sagging ceiling above. When spring came, it would rain just as hard inside as out, and the smell of mildew would hang thick in the air long past the end of summer, clinging to your clothes and your very dignity. Either way, and particulars aside, what I most need you to know right now is this. My life, my story, and everything else I have to tell you from here on out, it always started with dirt. My dad is a West Virginia logger. Like the eight generations of loggers in our family before him who answered the siren call of the West Virginia woods. As hauntingly beautiful as they are deadly, to send someone you love out into their grass each day is to never know if they are actually coming home. And for my dad, who started working in the woods when he was only 12 years old, there was never any question for him that this legacy of labor ended with me. That I would have the chance to go out and make a life and a living doing this thing I loved. Eventually, I would go on to be the first in my family to go to college. The personal statement that I would write about growing up in that trailer, the very roots that I thought would keep me chained where I was, instead became the very thing God used to open the door to me being accepted to Yale Law School. But this is not a story about happy endings and all oh, the places you'll go. It's about the messy middle and the dirt we are born into. It's about digging in when you want to give up. It's about the walls that divide us and the wounds that stitch us back together again. This is for anyone who has ever walked out into the world and felt like their scars were still on display for everyone to see. For those who feel forgotten and set aside, raw with nerve endings still burning from the memory of the stories we survived and have tried so hard to hide. For every one of us who can feel the grit of dirt under our fingernails no matter how long it has been since we last dug our way knee-deep out of the mud. For anyone who can't help but imagine the smell of trailer mildew mixed with dollar store vanilla perfume, this story is for you. This story is for me, too. Mixed with warmth, wit, humor, and the bittersweet, sometimes achingly heartbreaking places we go when we choose to lean into the dirt we come from, 
Dirt is the story of healing. This story is one of remembering our roots while at the same time turning our faces to the sky, of growing for something more than just ourselves. And one day when we get to where it is that we're going, we'll look back and realize we didn't get there despite these stories we bear. It was always because of them, and it always started with dirt. More than anything, when you get to the last word and long after you leave your desk today, I hope you'll remember the girl in the trailer. Above all, this story is for her. Welcome to Unstoppable Faith with Dr. Kazumba Charles. This program is designed to inspire you to stand on the Word of God and to help you build unshakable and unstoppable faith in Jesus Christ. Here's your host, Dr. Kazumba. Welcome back to Unstoppable Faith. As promised, my guest, she's here, Mary. She's going to share about what makes the broken beautiful. This is a very powerful man of God. You heard my introduction. I don't want to waste my time. Let me welcome my guest, Mary. Welcome on the program. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Charles. Thank you for having me. We're going to go right to it. I think uh, no wasting time here. Uh, uh, we're going to just go right to this question I have for you right in the beginning. You have lived many lives as the girl in the trailer, the young adult away at college, the woman making a name for herself at your law school, the woman turning down yeah. a six-figure law career to pursue your passion. What have you learned about transformation from this process oh gosh yeah you know i think i think that's such a beautiful question because i think so many of us are walking around with these versions of ourselves that we're holding inside kind of like almost like those nesting dolls where you go through life and you become these other versions of yourself but you don't necessarily leave those first versions behind as i walk through life there's very much a part of me who still very much feels like the girl in the trailer and you know um it, it's interesting to continue to walk through life as a grown woman and see the world through both the light you know the eyes of a woman that i've become but also this this girl in the trailer that I started out as. And so, you know, my story in the short version, I'm sure your, your audience has heard, is I grew up in a trailer in West Virginia, ended up at Yale Law School. And like you said, pivoting from going to study law to starting a business and building that business for 15 years, and now pivoting again to become an author. What I think I have learned about transformation, and this is probably what a lot of your viewers might be dealing with as well, is that 
it's kind of, it's my big groundbreaking statement that's not groundbreaking at all. And that is that transformation can hurt. Transformation can hurt as we go through it because we're being refined. We're feeling that pressure as the clay under the potter's hands. We're going through that fire to become gold. We are the caterpillar trying to become a butterfly. And as we're becoming that thing, sometimes there's this breaking down of the earlier version of us. You know, for a long time, I, I went around giving this talk where I said, oh, a caterpillar, you know, just when the caterpillar thought her life was over, she became a butterfly. And I know that's supposed to be inspirational, but all I could think was, I bet it hurts the caterpillar, this growing wings out of your own back, this scratching and clawing at a skin that no longer feels like it fits just to become a new thing, this literal stabbing of your own back just to fulfill your propensity to fly. And it was a really good talk until the sound guy at the back of the room came up and said, uh, actually, butter, that's, caterpillars don't grow wings out of their back at all. That's not how it happens. They actually have to disintegrate entirely. If you opened up a chrysalis, it would be like caterpillar soup and under this little shroud, actually, that forms in the cocoon. And that is how we become a new thing, this death to self before the thrill of hope takes flight. That's a painful process. This breaking down to become a new thing. And, and also, we, and we can talk about this more, sometimes transformation hurts because as you leave one life for another, you can feel like it's a betrayal to the people you leave behind. You know, just you sharing that, I can, I can, uh, I'll be honest with you. I, the, the anointing and the, the motivation and the inspiration. Oh my goodness, <laughs> this is so cool. Trust me. Just listening to you, my hope is rising because I begin to understand about transformation. My hope is rising, and I believe my viewers too. But I don't want to be talking here because uh, this is not about me. It's about you to help us understand uh, this topic we're dealing with now. Let's go to this question here. You've written actually about your life and uh, that's where we're gonna go uh, on this program. Mm -hmm. I wanna ask you, number one, what motivated you to write Date, the book that you've written, and I'm holding a copy right now in my hands here. You viewers, you can see it on your screen. And uh, what, uh, what motivated you to write Date and uh, to share your story? And also, I want you to tell us about the title and uh, what it means to your personal journey. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting title for a book, for sure. And it's definitely one that I had to fight for a little bit. Um, you know, I think a lot of people, when they hear a title like Dirt, the first question is like, wait, what did you say? And I'm like, Dirt, like of the ground, Dirt. Um, and then the second thing, especially when we had just revealed the cover and, and the book wasn't out yet, and you have, you know, people from back home or people in my family or, or just, you know, people in general looking, kind of wondering, what is this book going to stand for? You can hear a title like Dirt and think it's, it's going to be like Dish. I'm going to like, it's going to be a tell-all. It's going to throw people under the bus. Uh, or you think it's a book about gardening. <laughs> One of those two. It is neither of those things. Um, you know, what happened was uh, in 2015, I was speaking at a conference and I went to that conference with one talk prepared. And when I was there, God gave me an entirely different thing that he wanted me to talk about. And the title of that talk became, It Always Started With Dirt. And that's such a beautiful statement. But even that, it's sort of like, well, I love that. But what does that mean? It always started with dirt. And on a one very broad 
big picture level, you know, you think about these, this creation, God, God creating earth and everything that he'd already established air and water and stardust. And he had every element available to him when it came time to do his most important creation, the creation he was the most excited about, I believe, which is us, mankind. And of all the elements he had available, it says he created man from the dust of the ground, which is really just dirt. And I think about God coming close and hovering above the ground and breathing life into the, this muddy, you know, like his breath, the vapor of his breath mixing with dirt and becoming this mud. And I just think, you know, if God can create his best creation out of the muddy parts of the world, imagine what he can do with the muddy parts of our story. And so many of us feel like we have to hide the mud away in order to be acceptable to the world or before God, in order to be worthy of the sacrifice. We feel like if people knew the less than highlight real picture perfect versions of our story, we would not be enough of something to be welcome in most rooms, to be welcome at most tables. But the truth is, I think in some important ways, that is us not trusting God and what he can grow out of these muddy parts, what he can create. The creator of the universe who could have worked in any medium chose to work in the dirt. So that's in one very way, you know, general big picture way how it started with dirt. And then my story in particular started with dirt because my dad's a logger and he would come home from these 12 hour days in the woods in all elements and all weather uh, with mud encased on his ankles and his calves all the way up to his knees. And as he would walk through our trailer, which I had spent the day sweeping and trying to get clean, he would leave this little trail of these chevron-shaped mud prints from his boots all throughout the house. I mean, huge, Dr. Charles, huge chunks of mud throughout the house. And, you know, I just think sometimes this dirt that we try so hard to sweep away, that we try so hard to present this clean, picture-perfect version of our life, this dirt can actually become a trail of breadcrumbs pointing us to our story and our purpose and our calling. And we just have to not be afraid to follow that trail. Awesome. Just, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, you, can, you can even feel the deliverance coming mm -hmm. because, uh, you know, there is that you come to a point of rest where you yeah. rest. You are not yeah. doing it for any other person. There is no performance to get to where you're going. You let the creator begin yeah. to create something new in you. I love that. Mm -hmm. I love that. Now, let's go to the, uh, to, the, uh, to the next point I want you to make because uh, you've written it in your book. You mm -hmm. write about how the experiences we have in our developing years have so much impact on our adult selves. Yeah. Uh, can you share with us a childhood experience that has shaped who you are as an adult. Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, I'll say that for any of your viewers who've maybe taken the Enneagram or started to dig into the Enneagram, one of the most profound moments I had with the Enneagram, I was talking to Dr. Ian Morgan Cron, who if you've not had on your show, you have to, he's phenomenal. Yeah, so he wrote The Road Back to You, and that was the first time I really heard somebody explain the Enneagram as the number that you get is not the number you are hardwired to be or the most the, the purest version of who you are, the Enneagram is the mask you put on in childhood because of a belief you absorbed about who you had to become in order to be loved. And when I heard that, I just burst into tears because 
I'm an Enneagram three, which is the achiever. And I very much feel like I took on at an early age, this mask of, I had to get the A plus plus plus. I had to get the gold stars. I had to be the best. I had to achieve in order to be loved, in order to have my story make sense in order for my story to be redeemed. Like it, in my mind, it became, unless I go and achieve the top of the top, then this growing up and starting in such a humble place, I just stay in that place. I just stay in that brokenness. The beautiful doesn't happen uh, or something like that. It, it felt like the story only works if it's a triumph story, if it's an underdog story, if it has this swelling score of a crescendo at the end of the movie. And so that, you know, an experience that I had when I was a child that really started to shape that, one of the ones that I do write about is being four years old wow. and my dad, J.R. Bess, uh, who had very high expectations for me. I was the only child and my dad started working in the woods when he was 12 and never got the chance to go to college. And so he said, my kid's going to college. That's he, you're getting out. And so and that was his version of getting out, you know, was, was college. And so at four years old, wanting me to be prepared for kindergarten the following fall, he started me in these workbooks um, that you could get in the grocery store at the time where if you were going into kindergarten, you were supposed to get a kindergarten workbook, but he was never big on supposed to. So we started in kindergarten workbooks, but he just kept going as I would finish one, he would get me the next grade up. And so when I started kindergarten, he had me in fifth grade math workbooks and sixth grade reading levels. And on the one hand, it's like, that's such a powerful, beautiful story of a parent equipping, you know, a child and sending them into the world. But he also like these expectations he had were, he felt that because of where we came from, because of what we were up against, I had no choice, but to be perfect, I had no choice, but to be a plus plus if I was going to get out. And so I do think that the mask I took on was if I didn't constantly hit a plus plus level, then it was all going to fall apart. My goodness, my goodness. Yeah. That is a, that is a, just, a, you know, uh, uh, just listening to you, I can, uh, you got a lot to offer. You got a mm -hmm. lot to offer. You know, you. we, we, the Bible says iron sharpens another iron. Trust mm -hmm. me. And I believe our viewers, wherever you are watching this program, whether you are driving and you are on Faith FM, listening, riding your radio, you know, in your car, I know this is speaking volume to you. Uh, you know, the, the Lord wants to bring transformation to our lives. And we can't have that transformation if we don't hear from the people who've lived it, who've gone through it. Now, let me go to this question, Mary, because um, you write one of the most uh, powerful extract that I looked at as I was reading your book. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I, I said this is one of the most powerful I've ever read. You say, you, you say, we go out in the world wearing the, arm, the armor of the well-adjusted, mm -hmm. the sword and shield of the overachieved. Yeah. Achieving doesn't feel like a choice. Achieving is like our oxygen. What does that mean for achieving, uh, for achieving to be like oxygen? Mm, yeah, you know, it was very important to me that I included this part in the book because I think a lot of times when people hear a story of like, grew up in a trailer, grew up in humble beginnings, ended up in the Ivy League or in some, you know, a, a really far level of success, they can start to go, okay, so maybe like 
the trailer wasn't the most ideal. Maybe the childhood wasn't the easiest, but it made you incredibly successful. So what, what do you, what's the sad part of that, you know? And in the book, I talk about, you know, if I were making a joke here, I would say that me running from my story was like Forrest Gump, where they hand him the football and nobody ever tells him that it's safe to stop. So he just keeps running into the end zone, victory after victory. But it's not like that. When that switch flips in you, that you start to believe you must achieve in order to be loved. And that is my own interpretation. No, my dad never said that to me. It was just what I took on, what I believed as I was starting to become aware of the world around me. That switch that gets flipped is so much more visceral. It's so much more primal. It's survival. I said my running was a lot more like the girl in the red cape, clawing and scratching her way out of the deep, dark woods, the big bad wolf ripping at her heels. She runs because she knows if she stops, it just might kill her. And when I look back over my you know, shoulder at last, breathless and wild-eyed, I finally see it. I am the girl in the red cape, but I'm also the wolf. And that voice in my head saying to run and never stop running, that it will never be safe to stop, that voice is my own. I'm the one telling myself it's not. I just really wanted people to understand that when somebody becomes an achiever because they didn't grow up with a lot, they are not doing it to feel better than anyone else, to be better than anyone else, to make them feel small. They are doing it because they feel like they can go about as long as they could go without taking in an inhale before it feels like they're suffocating without that achievement. And, uh, and uh, I would love before the end of the broadcast, if possible, please, for you to pray with our viewers. So oh, I'm going I'm, I'm, I'm to really appreciate if you prayed with our viewers. But here is uh, one of the things that uh, you've done in your book. You, you write about, um, actually, you, you walk your readers uh, through several relationships that have been pivotal to your life. Can you sum up how these relationships have made you who you are today? Mm. Oh, I love that question. I've never actually had that question. Um, you know, I think there, there's a study that's out that shows, it proves that if a child has just one adult who will take an interest in them, whether that's a grandparent or a teacher or a parent or a neighbor, if they will really truly take the time to pour into that child, it can change the entire trajectory of that child's life. And, you know, as I walk through the book, I talk about my relationship with my dad and what was expected of me, you know, in terms of him and me getting me out and like how we were so similar. And I say, you know, all the similarities in us that drove us to our differences, all the things we have in common that, you know, made that clash uh, happen so inevitably. And then I talk about my grandma Goldie, who lived next door, who was uh, five foot two and a towering force in our family tree. This one part firecracker, one part sassafras. You know, she was, she lived right next door. And my mom actually um, did leave when I was nine. And that's a big journey of the book as well is this return to reconciliation and forgiveness. Um, but when she was gone, my grandma sort of stepped in as one part grandma, one part mom. And she just thought I hung the moon and having somebody see the the best version of you, this version of you that's way better than you know you actually are, it makes you want to live up to that, you know, and I kind of talk about how the way she saw me is a lot how God sees us as, you know, you want to turn around and see who he's talking about when he introduces you as his child, beloved, adopted, chosen, you know, it's like, who are you talking about? Not me. 
And sometimes it can be hard for us to take on grace because we, when we have somebody who sees us that way, we, we don't feel worthy. Um, so she was somebody who really taught me about grace. And then I have some teachers that I talk about. And then, of course, my husband, Justin, who becomes a very redeeming part of the story. I was the girl who thought I would never get married um, based on how I saw my parents not stay together. And they actually got divorced the summer I met Justin, um, which I talk about in the book. And he, you know, we've, we, have to, the, we have a 13-year beautiful marriage is such a redeeming part of the story. So there are definitely characters who come throughout the book who become guides for our poor, flawed hero, who is me, um, really bringing me to this place of forgiveness and grace and redemption in the story. I love what you say about just having uh, that uh, adult in your life. And uh, one of those uh, relationships in your book mm -hmm. you talk about is uh, your father. Uh, uh, tell us a little bit about uh, your relationship yeah. with your father and how that impacted your life. Yeah, I mean, uh, gosh, my dad was um, 20, almost 21 when he married my mom. She was 17. And he was 23, almost 24 when she had me. And he did not feel, she had said, she, you know, let's, let's start a family. And he did not feel ready. So he was not necessarily the one pushing for me. And then when she left, suddenly it's me and him trying to figure it out together. And uh, we are cut very much from the same cloth. We're both very stubborn. We're both very hard workers. We're both, um, you know, we stand up for what we believe. And you know, that, especially as I entered the teenage years and really resented that trailer, I talk about in the book how we butted heads a lot. And what I think one of my favorite themes or arcs of the whole book is this father-daughter relationship that grows from, you're going to get out, you're going to get out, you know, him very much as the dad, me very much as the child, to kind of becoming these peers as we're trying to figure out life together after my mom left, to becoming genuinely grown-up friends, you know, and it's just, I mean, it's, I, I just, I'm so proud of how that story came together because it is, it's, rich and it's complex. And these are two very complex human beings, me and my dad, figuring out how to be this break in our generational tree, this, these chains in our family tree being broken with from his generation to mine. I mean, to go from him barely graduating high school to the very next generation being at Yale Law School, like something incredible had to happen there. And a lot of people, when they hear a story like that, they look at the person who went but they forget about the person who stayed. We can spend all time here. Uh, here, let's get back to the girl in the trailer. Let's get mm. back there first. Uh, the girl in the trailer and the girl after the trailer, yeah. what is it like to see the world through those two different filters at the same yeah. time? Yeah, uh, you know, one of the very opening scenes of the book, I'm in the hospital for my dad and I say, the girl in the trailer and the girl after the trailer, they had both come to stand by my father's bedside, both knowing they should have come much sooner. And as they're standing there, they hear the nurses in the station, you know, at their station in the hallway. And to one, the accent sounds foreign because I had been gone for 18 years at that point. And to the other, it sounds familiar. And that, I think, is, you know, when we were editing the book, the copy editor almost had us make a change in the sentence that would make it sound more like, um, 
you know, like th- it could have been something in the accent, but I said, no, I want it to be clear that it's almost as if I have two personalities, two multiple identities I'm holding inside who are experiencing the exact same thing at the exact same moment in two very different ways. It is both foreign and familiar at the same time. And I think it's like that, you know, I, I sit here in my kitchen with the white quartz island we just put together and you know that we live in connecticut on the water with golden retrievers and sometimes it's hard for the girl after the trailer to ever remember that she actually was in that trailer you know that that, to remember the pattern of hopscotching you had to do across the living room floor because it was caved in in parts you know and you just hit carpet and keep going if you weren't careful um and some, sometimes I feel like, as I sit at this kitchen island, the girl in the trailer is here with me, like just dancing, jumping up and down, being like, look at our life. Look at what happened. Um, because I think for a lot of my life growing up, if somebody would have given me the opportunity to snap my fingers and Freaky Friday with somebody else, change places with somebody else and have their story, I would have done it in a heartbeat. And we do that. We think this instant moment that we're in that's hard is the whole story. But when we zoom out, we realize that we're looking at a few words and thinking it's our whole life sentence. And the truth is God is not done writing yet. There's a whole book he's writing over our lives and we have no idea how good it's going to get. So keep reading. He's still writing. What would you tell the reader who may be stepping into the unknown right now? or scared about their future, Mm. what should you say? Because that is your story, and your story actually cuts through every culture, every age group. We all go through Mm. this. So what is it that you can say to them? And after this, I just want you to to go ahead and pray for these people who are listening right now and watching all over the world. Yeah, well, I would say, first of all, you know, in the year that we have just had, the year of our Lord, 2020, 2020. I think for a lot of us, unknown has equaled really heavy and really hard and maybe a season of loss or, or disappointment or, or mourning what should have been. And, you know, there can be this grief to that. There can be this exhaustion to that. And what I would say to all of us is that <clears throat> I have a very unscientific theory that every single human is born into the world with hard edges, mm-hmm. you know, picture pictures almost as like square people walking around. And as we bump into each other as those hard edges, we leave unintentionally cuts on everybody we meet, whether it's thoughtlessness or not including somebody or just ignoring the magic of another human being, you know, on a blue planet hurtling through space, however fast we're flying through space. Right. So, As we go through hard things, like progressively finer grits of sandpaper, I believe those hard edges get rounded off. And the trade-off of going through hard things is that we get to become safe people. Mm -hmm. We get to become soft people Mm -hmm. that other people can then come sit cross-legged across from us and say, let me lean in close enough to see your story, to see the words written across your life. And to understand that as you walked through those hard things, you were becoming, there was this breaking down of self to become a new thing. And so as you step into the unknown, I would say, don't be shocked if you get your hands muddy along the way. And don't be shocked if you get more than your fair share of scars along the way. Step out anyway, build this life anyway, and know that you get to be muddy and scarred in the building of this, what will be a beautiful life 
because someone else got muddy and scarred in the building of you. And that means we're living a redemption, never a betrayal as we transform. And so God, I just pray right now for every person listening, every person watching, every person tuning in. Mm. I pray that every person would feel you moving and writing in their story. I pray that you would give them glimpses like the flipping of the pages, that there is so much more to come, that they are zooming in on a paragraph or a sentence and believing that's the end of their whole story and you have so much more to write. You are not done writing yet. I pray that they would find comfort in your peace. I pray that in the unknowns and the uncertainties in the months ahead, they would feel you close, drawing close like the fog marks on the glass. I pray they would see you everywhere in the green of the grass, in the color in the sky, in the birds stepping into flight, in the mud of the ground on their hands, this color and freedom and fire and dirt. I pray, God, that you will bring unexplainable joy Yes, God. in the midst of circumstances we can't explain or control. I pray that you would help people who are in the midst of transformation to know that this pressure, this pain, Mm -hmm. this fire they are walking through, they are coming out gold the other side. Yes, Lord. I pray and I give thanks to you for Dr. Charles, for his ministry, for his anointing, for his words, for the way that he shines a spotlight on people, for the way that he makes them feel seen and important and like they matter, like their story matters. I'm thankful for those people you have sent to this world to remind people Mm. their story matters. And I'm thankful for him. I'm thankful for the time. I'm thankful for the opportunity. And I just pray, God, that you will know how very much we love you and that we will in turn know that you love us more than we could ever imagine. In your heavenly name, amen. Faith is the currency of the kingdom of God. Thank you for tuning in to Unstoppable Faith with Dr. Kazumba Charles. If this program has been a blessing to you, write to us at life at and share your testimony.